is Adam. Welcome back to Bringing It Backwards, a platform for both legendary and rising artists to tell their personal stories on how they achieve stardom. On this episode, we had a chance to talk with Mike of Geographer over Zoom video. Mike was born and raised in New Jersey, and he talks about how he got into music. The first instrument he learned was piano, but he really became obsessed with the saxophone at a very early age. He did that all through middle school and high school. At around 16 years old is when he got a guitar and started to play open mic nights. He talked about the band he was in after college, moving to San Francisco, starting Geographer, the success of his 7-inch he put out with Kites, and all about his career up till the pandemic when he was about to release his newest record, which has over 20 songs on it. It's an epic album. A lot of people are doing the singles thing. Geographer's like, I'm putting out 20 plus songs, which I think is amazing. So he tells us all about the new record as well. You can watch our interview with Mike on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards. We'd love it if you subscribe to our channel, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bringing Back Pod. And if you're an Amazon shopper, a portion of your everyday purchases will help support our podcast with just a few clicks. It's super easy please head over to our website, bringingitbackwards.com, and click on Amazon each time you begin your purchases. Those few extra clicks will help keep our mission of providing a platform for both legendary and rising artists to tell their personal stories on how they achieve stardom so that all artists and music enthusiasts have access to meaningful and memorable advice that will help inspire their own musical journeys. To recap, please head over to bringingitbackwards.com and click on Amazon before you make each and every purchase because a portion of that purchase will add up in a big way to help support our mission. Thank you so much. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're bringing it backwards with Geographer. My name's Adam and this podcast is about you and your journey in music and we'll talk about the new record you have coming out next month. Awesome. Cool, cool. Um, I do remember actually. Uh, I I used to work at Live One Hundred Five in San Francisco. We and Aaron, you did? Play, yeah, I used to play uh, oh. you on the air quite a bit for Soundcheck. No way. Yeah, that's like Live One Hundred Five is a big one for me. Yeah. Did you go to pop scenes and stuff? Oh yeah. Um, I was nice. only up there from. I was only on the station from two thousand nine to two thousand twelve, but I did weekends and uh, overnights and middays every once in a while but yeah that's awesome yeah those were great those were those were the years so this was like when if when it all started <laughs> yeah i know and i saw your name and i was like oh awesome i i remember i remember and i think did you guys you played a bfd or one or two didn't yeah. you yeah yeah i thought maybe so maybe two i played the the like um i don't know if what it was called but it was like for unknown artists stage that thing yeah the uh subsonic tent yeah that one yeah and then i and then an, maybe a year or two later, I played one of the big stages. It was really amazing. Like uh, with Imagine Dragons, Group Love, Walk oh, the Moon. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, It was like, what? <laughs> I know. You look at some of those lineups that were like in those. That was probably like an outside stage, right? Yeah. I mean, it was yes. like, you know, you'd have like that two outdoor stages set up. Mm -hmm. And it would, th that would be the lineup. Yeah. Imagine Dragons. And it was insane. Yeah. Like Young all the Giants. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Aaron is is pretty impressive. He he like really understands what's gonna be 
like good. It's amazing. Oh, yeah, he's he is a legend, legend tastemaker, and yeah, especially yeah. for San Francisco. I mean, he knows that city like yeah back of his hand, and it's he awesome. knows he can pick talent. Like yeah, he's he's awesome. I'm, yeah, it's, it, did you? I don't know if you saw. I'm sure you did. That live in 05 no longer exists yeah. at all yep, anymore. Yep, yep, I know. I mean, it, it changed to like alt 105.3, and now it's it's called like Dan FM. It's something so, some random. Name. Dan bought it. Oh wow. But yeah, you know Dan. I mean, it, it's some like generic name FM. I think it's Dan FM. But Dan anyway, FM. And it's just this guy just sort of talking. He's like. So that was uh, Led Zeppelin. Like, <laughs> of course. <laughs> oh, man. Well, are you from San Francisco originally? No, I'm from New Jersey. Oh, okay. Um, so born and raised in New Jersey? Yep. And, uh, and then I moved to San Francisco in 2004 or five. 2005. Oh, okay. Yeah. So what was it like growing up in New Jersey then? I mean, New Jersey, like... I think New Jersey is an amazing place to grow up because it, you know, everybody loves having a place to like, I need to escape and see the real world, you know, <laughs> of and New Jersey's perfect for that because it's, it's actually a lovely place, mm -hmm. you know, it's like farmlands, mostly nobody thinks about that. And yes, there is that turnpike, but that's just one street in the state, <laughs> but it's like a beautiful, safe and lovely place to grow up. If you're in the suburbs, mm -hmm. our city, we're not very proud of our cities. Um, but yeah, it was great to have a, to have something to like want to leave basically, you know, and that kind of pushed me out into the world. Cause I like, I just always wanted to experience everything. And so, you know, it was just like sort of a classic American upbringing, just like mm -hmm. running around with kids outside, getting drunk in the woods and like, yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty great looking back, but when I was there, I I hated it. <laughs> of course, <laughs> right? Yeah, there's a cool music scene in in Jersey too, like Hoboken. Or I'm unaware like, of the music scene there, other than of course Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> yeah, well, isn't like Princeton around there? That's where, like, basically, I grew up like maybe ten minutes away from there. Yeah, so like Saves the Day was from there and some of those oh, other... Yeah, the, like, some of those guys went to my high school. <laughs> really? Okay, yeah. so that's what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Saves the Day was like our heroes. And then <laughs> and then I, I got to meet uh, them. Like when I went to San Francisco, there was all these weird connections of people. And then some mm -hmm. friends that I made in San Francisco had grown up with like uh, the lead singer. And then I realized that the drummer went like lived down the street from me when I was growing up and then we became buddies and yeah. Oh, wow. Were they older, younger than you? Like you said you went to maybe, high school with them? Well, they were maybe like four years older than me, maybe five. Oh, okay. So they were out of high school at this they point. They were gone. Yes. They were gone by the time I, yeah, but they were legendary. <laughs> That's cool. That is so cool. Yeah. <laughs> so did you grow up around Princeton then? I did. I, I grew up like I, I would. Princeton was like 10 minutes away. So that's like mm -hmm. where we would go. That's where I uh, first had a French onion soup. It's very uh, nice. You know, <laughs> yeah, <when> I, <laughs> felt very cosmopolitan. But yeah, my buddies that I would go there. I, that's actually where I played my first show ever in my life, like as a singer songwriter, which it certainly was. I like had a ovation guitar. And I was I got all my friends to come to a coffee shop. And I just like played my songs. I think it was like, maybe 16 
Um, okay. Yeah. It was, That's rad. Yeah. 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 So I Princeton would, was a great place to have around. Yeah. I would imagine. Yeah. There's probably quite a few places to do little open mic nights around that area. Yeah. At least if it's a college know. town, I've never been there, but I would just yeah. assume. I don't know how I made that happen. I, I guess I, I guess I just asked them. A lot of gumption. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, you, so as I was 16, when did you get into music? Well, I, I mean, I, I started taking piano when I was six, um, but that wasn't like, you know, my choice. I think it was just sort of like, cool, you know? Yeah. Um, and I was singing, I was singing, I guess at church um, was the first time I was like, this is really fun. You know, it's just like mm -hmm. the way this feels in my throat. And then I consider like my 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 sense of music beginning at age nine when I when I started taking the saxophone. So I remember okay. my parents were like, what what uh, instrument do you want to play? And I was like, mm, saxophone. Like I had no, no, <laughs> no idea. But like, you're just like, yes, the saxophone. And then that decides basically the rest of your life. It's funny, those decisions. But yeah, there's all these pictures of me like really scrawny in my underwear with a towel stuffed in the bell, just like, <laughs> just like, <laughs> like pure hell for the first two years for my parents. Of course, right? Yeah. Was but that like that in middle, uh, end of elementary school? Like, is that because I third, third grade, I think. Okay. You yeah. get to pick one of the like six instruments that they offer. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And if you're lucky, you don't have to pick the one that nobody else has already picked. And you're just well, like, that's where I got stuck. I wanted to play the saxophone. Just I don't know why. Clarinet. I look cool. I, that's what I got stuck with. <laughs> no one wants to play the clarinet. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I got stuck with the clarinet. Uh, However, you can play the saxophone. If yeah, because it's play got the, the reed, right? The well, reed no, I instrument. think it's almost the same exact fingering, too. Oh, is it? Yeah, we See, can play the far. flute. And the clarinet and the saxophone. I've been working on the flute a lot, actually. It's like a little different, but the flute is a cool instrument. That Very just was cool. like what all the girls used to would play. And Isn't that odd? It's weird, yeah. <laughs> like See, a I... genderizing instrument, <laughs> like instrument, like... right? Like in fifth grade, we're genderizing yeah. instruments. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's for girls. Okay. <laughs> Well, I will say, though, when I got the clarinet, I had friends that were they got earlier picks or whatever. So they got the saxophone when we'd we'd had band on like in like one day a week or whatever in elementary school. And we walked to school. So I had the clarinet and it fit in my backpack. Oh. Everyone else. Yeah. Everyone else had a carry there. Yeah. I'm just like, lug in yeah, that making thing. Making fun of me. Huh? Yeah. You're like, I made the I made a smart choice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You guys so, might be cool. Right, right. But I made a smart choice. And and also we weren't cool. <laughs> Us saxophone players. So just to well, be look clear. Cool. Only the drummers were cool in band. <laughs> yeah. But the drumming didn't even come in, I think, until middle school. You couldn't play drum. At least in my uh, my Oh, that's good thinking play. actually on the part of the teachers. Yeah, you do not want to hand percussion. a child <laughs> like yeah. a loud Drum banging. Yeah. <laughs> so you started how long did you play saxophone? Did you do that through high school? Yeah, it became like my identity, my main okay. thing. Like I was, yeah, because I was very bad at a lot of things, like <laughs> like the things that do make you cool, like sports, uh, basically sports. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's just like <laughs> sports is what you need to be good at when you're young. 
but so the the like being good at the saxophone and being recognized for that and like i feel like i was like i was like seen as the i played an instrument the best in my whole school and that like really helped my Mm self-esteem you know um so then i just threw myself into that and i was just like saxophone and then i i in in high school i played in the jazz band i played in like a small ensemble that that like sort of gigged around town you know oh wow it was just really cool looking back i'm like you know it's just the choice of of my band director um who was just like you know what i'm gonna give these i'm gonna give these kids who i see actually love music and mm-hmm. love performing i'm like i'm gonna give them an experience of what it's like and it was invaluable for me going forward it was just like you know because when i played my first shows as like me i was mm-hmm. terrified of mm-hmm. course you know just like heart pounding but i think i don't know if i would have had the confidence to do it if i hadn't been you know sort of like grandfathered into that experience mm-hmm. you know we got to name the band it was called microcosm I was oh, in it with cool. my sister. It, it was great. It was cool. What did your sister play? Piano. Oh. So she was doing like McCoy Tyner stuff. She was very good. Okay. And I, I was, uh, I wouldn't say I was doing Coltrane, but <laughs> I was trying. <laughs> yeah, trying to do Coltrane. Yeah. Um, <laughs> does she still play? She actually passed away. I'm, oh so, my gosh, sorry I'm so sorry to have to drop that on you. But Oh, I'm so sorry. But she did play until, you know, into adulthood. She like accompanied the chorus in high school as well. So we had like, I was also in a small ensemble, singing ensemble. Okay. Um, called Madrigal. And she was the accompanist for that. So That's yeah, it was cool. like, it was, a, it was just a lovely, like the band room was this safe haven. Cause high school is, is like a prison. It's like, oh, it's rough. It, it's so rough. It's pre- it literally is like prison rules where, where you just like the big dogs eat, you know? Right, so right. it was nice to have a place where there was always a little food laid out. Sure. Sure. With uh, the, that band teacher, do you still stay in contact with them? Yeah. Yeah. He comes to, he comes to my shows in, uh, I think he's in Boston now. Um, Eric, if you're listening, hi, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> he, that's he's cool. He's just so cool. It's so funny when you realize like, you're like, oh, that guy was like, 22 <laughs> you know right. like 23 <laughs> yeah, right. you just look at them and you're like well that's old right. <laughs> he's only like yeah. a few years older than you <laughs> yeah, he's not that much older than you right <laughs> yeah but he was i mean he, and he was my private saxophone teacher so he came to my house gave me private lessons every week oh cool i never practiced but he never he never gave me like gruff about it which i really another smart move because that that's why I stopped playing piano is because it was like, I just hated practicing, you know? Right, right. You, you know, it's like you can't, it, you might love playing the instrument, but you don't love playing like, I don't know, high scales, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Plus those, I think about that a lot where it's like, you shouldn't teach children classical music. No. Like, they don't no. like it. <laughs> you, the people that I've interviewed uh, that, stuck with piano mm-hmm. i would say a majority of them had a teacher that wasn't like slapping your hand with a ruler teaching you yeah. you know technique it's mainly like oh like do you what do you want to learn oh octopus's garden or you know it was something that like exactly 
that would be fun for a, a classic for a kid to learn. piano song. <laughs> right. Yeah. Not just like, here's a, a, a piece from Beethoven. Good luck. I know. It's like, uh, <laughs> it really just feels like you're doing what you're told and, and you're not experiencing like, because you have to love music first, right? It's like, mm-hmm. that's, I feel like love happens first and then the acuity for it happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. If they taught me the Beatles songs, I, I, yeah, I would be so much better at the piano. <laughs> right. Cause then it's like, Oh, this is cool. I'm learning songs exactly. that I can actually listen to and understand. And it all makes sense. Yeah. And, and that's why people yeah. love the guitar. Cause they're not teaching you like Bach, like sweets, right. on the guitar. They're just uh-huh. like, here's Nirvana. <laughs> right. Yeah. My son's learning guitar. He got a guitar. Was it for like, not even a year ago, like six oh, months wow. ago or something. And so I have him going to lessons and they're teaching, like he came back the other day and they taught him brain stew by green day. And, uh, my name is Jonas from Weezer. I was like, Whoa, that's so cool. He's doing this. <laughs> no, no, no. Just the, just the chords. Like the power chords. That's awesome. But, yeah. Cause still, those are foundational like, power chords. And like, you're actually learning a lot when you learn those songs, even though they're very simplistic. It's yeah. But I was just like, wow, that's cool. He's not just like, okay, learn the scale. Do, 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 yeah. do, do. It, it's like, he comes back and goes, Oh, I can play, you know, brains do I'm like well, exactly that's pretty yeah, cool. the, piano, <laughs> the piano could be as cool as the guitar you know it's just yeah. like you just have to be like oh i can do anything on this and i can play all my favorite songs right because yeah. it can you can do anything on the piano it's just the, anything yeah it is probably the best instrument for sure for sure yeah. um real quick how did you when did you learn guitar i mean it sounds like you played saxophone obviously Yes, guitar. Well, my so my dad, um, who also passed away, FYI. Oh <laughs> Sorry. my gosh. <laughs> yeah, I know it's been rough. He um he was a guitarist. He like played in this um oh who's that guy Herb Herb Alpert. He, okay, you know Herb Alpert. He didn't play I in know Herb Alpert's band, but he was like oh. the Tijuana Brass, like a ripoff of that. So Got he like it. in the sixties. He's like really little. He's maybe 16 as well, actually. And he he like played guitar and there's a guy with like a, a trumpet and they they played at the World's Fair in uh, Toronto. It might have been really. Yeah. And then nothing. Then he was just like, <laughs> stopped. well, no, he play, he continued to be a hobbyist, but he was okay. just like, I think he was just so practical. He was just like, I got to get out of here. I got to make a life and a living and a family, you know, and mm-hmm. so all the things that I've shirked as a result of that gift. But so he, he was always playing guitar and we would, we would like get like a fake book out and he would play the chords and then I would solo on the saxophone. So we'd play like the long and winding road and I'd be like, Oh, cool. Yeah. And then I, I got a MIDI saxophone too. So it was like, really cheesy sounds and I'd be playing like, you know, like a Hammond organ sound on my saxophone. Um, but he eventually taught me the guitar. I don't know why he waited so long, actually. Um, I guess cause I never asked, you know, cause Maybe I was sort of like, I have a guitarist. Yeah, why would pl- I, or you're you playing know? in the, you're so involved in the sax. Yeah, exactly. Too. But then I think, I think once I hit puberty as so many, as so many young men do, I was like, um, guitar, please. And then he was <laughs> like, all right, here's a few chords. And he really didn't teach me how to play. He was just like. Um, you know, if you ask me something, I'll teach you. Uh, here's D G A 
good luck. You know, and it was it was interesting. I don't think he I don't know why he didn't teach me, but it was cool to discover because that was the joy of the guitar for me was I had no idea what I was doing, mm -hmm. but I could make beautiful sounds, you know, and it was as if I was inventing. It was if I was the first person who had played the instrument when I was mm -hmm. alone because I was like, oh, you know, and it was this like amazing discovery experience that. I really carried with me, I never learned how to play the guitar. Like I, just a few years ago, I started learning the notes. So I'm like, I'm just walking around blind in there, you know, <laughs> but I'm like Zatoichi, the blind swordsman. It's like, I can see better than you can. I, <laughs> I mean, well, I'm not you like a- have the framework for it, obviously. And you know, yeah. you hear notes and you, yep. I mean, you're playing saxophone. And then that allows, that allowed me to like use my creativity rather than like, um, to do what other people had done. So I think that, you know, I'm not like a fantastic guitarist because of that, but it allowed me to develop my, my like individuality. Right. Your own your, yeah, yeah. Your own unique. I never actually thought about that before, but I, I there's no way he did that on purpose. He's not like, mm. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's got this busy. master plan. Yeah. He's, he's like, like, if I, I don't teach him anything, he's going to become this protege. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so you yeah. started when did you start writing songs pretty soon after you yeah like immediately okay. like i was just like oh good okay and i just had so much confidence because my parents were just like just like filled me with confidence of my creations so my dad got me a four track which is actually right there i just like keep it as a talent yeah and uh, um so i had a cassette in there and i would just like layer and layer and like he taught me how to bounce a, a cassette to another cassette. So then it was like mm -hmm. endless tracks. So I would, it, I have those albums that I Do made. Do you? Yes. Wow. And they're just like, it, it's so cute. I like can't even believe it. It's just this little boy singing, <laughs> singing these like heartfelt love songs that he has no reference for. But I, because <laughs> I was emulating like, James Taylor, Crosby, Stills and Nash. And, mm -hmm. and uh, those were like my favorite. That was my favorite music other than like, you know, radio hits like uh, right. Space Hog, I think at that time it was like a big oh, song. For oh, me. yeah. <laughs> In the meantime. <laughs> but yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> but I, I remember hating a lot of the music that I felt I was supposed to like. And that was like confusing for me, you know, um, you know, because you just listen to like pop radio when you're a kid. But I, I definitely was into Guns N' Roses, like November Rain. Mm -hmm. And it's just like a random smattering of things like Sabotage by the Beastie Boys, Crosby, Stills and Nash. <laughs> so, yeah, I was, I would record these songs down in the basement. That was just like my domain from that point forward, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and then. And then I would like bring them upstairs to my dad and he'd be like, oh, and he'd like stop whatever he was doing and listen. He'd just be like. Oh, it, it's so good. He was like genuinely amazed, I think. Like That's he was just awesome. like, you, wow. You know, and you listen to them and they're terrible. But like, <laughs> it was like, it was like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he, he saw something in it that I think I saw as well, where I was just like, this is, this is cool. I'll probably get good at this one day. And it took a really long time. Like I didn't, I don't think I wrote a genuinely good song until after college, like until I was like 23. So, really? Yeah, because honestly, that that um, wealth of confidence 
mm-hmm. I think worked against me because I was there there wasn't a level of editorial like criticism to my writing. I was just like I I thought of it, it must be good. You know, right, so it's just right. like <laughs> I played it, it must be good. But it was like there was no real taste going on in, mm-hmm. in, in you know it was really just like a cornucopia it was like a little a little bit um difficult to look at because there's so many colors you know sure. like there would be like 10 harmonies on a track and a a, a little like hand drum and <laughs> and a saxophone you know and you're just like <laughs> okay <laughs> no one wants to listen to that but i did i sold my cds in my high school like when i got older i was like Hey guys, I made a new album and I would like, my dad would help me with the layout and the printing and like, that's cool. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, I like had a jump on the game in the DIY factor, which Mm -hmm. also really helped me when I became, you know, an indie musician where you have to do everything yourself. Like I never had that feeling of like, I need someone else to do this for me. And why isn't anybody helping? You know, I, I was just sort of like, Oh, you need a CD? Okay, I will get an attachment for that on my printer. And then we can print directly to a CD. I have a CD now, you know, rather than being like, you need a label, buddy, (laughs) you know. Mm -hmm. But I think that helped me get it because that was the time for that, too. In like the er the early 2010s, it was like, yeah, burning CDs. Yeah, DIY was like really cool. It was like people actually appreciated it more than like people who were more established a lot of the time. Like if you were like, I listened to a band that no one's ever heard of and no one ever will hear of. You were cooler right. than you were. And that's yeah. it's something that has totally changed now. And I was talking yeah. to somebody about this out the other day. It's like the idea of selling out isn't even like a thing anymore. To no, kids. you only sell like, in. <laughs> you're right. Yeah. Because growing up, it was like, oh, they sold out like they're on a major label Dude, now. Like Seriously. Now people like this band. I can't like them anymore. Exactly. <laughs> I had to. I had it was hard to shed that feeling because growing up in the 90s with like Nirvana, you know, uh-huh. and Radiohead, you were just like, oh, commercials are evil. You know, and right, like, right. Yeah. And now you get a commercial, it, it like boosts your career. Like you're just like, you're like, people yes. are like oh, I heard you in that Acura commercial. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. Exactly. That's why I'm at your show. <laughs> you're just like, right, right. You mean you didn't want to never listen to me again? <laughs> yeah. After you heard I was on the Acura commercial, you didn't want to just break my CD. <laughs> right. Exactly. It's, it's pretty incredible. I mean, and it's, it's sad. <laughs> yeah it is definitely different because now because i mean it, with go ahead i was gonna say with like tiktok and instagram and everything else like that's what these kids are striving to do is have a viral song yes. or viral video or whatever and tiktok is the antithesis of of my ethos as an artist which is do something wholly original Whereas TikTok is like, this is literally a trend. It is called a trend and we want you to do it. Whereas like right. growing up, I was like, oh, that's trendy. You're a poser. Like that. that kind right, of stuff. right. Yeah. <laughs> I remember getting pissed at kids. Like if I bought shoes that I thought were cool, like a skate shoe that came out and like if someone else got them, I'm like, really? Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> you were like, because you bought them first. I like, found them and I bought them first and then somebody else got them. I'm like, I don't skate, dick. but <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. me up. 
<laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> but now it's like, are... hop on the trend, hop on the trend. It's... I know, welcome. All are welcome, which is, there's a lot of positive there, I'm realizing, you know, because it's like, for sure. Less, less to scorn for. <laughs> <laughs> but it definitely changed everything yeah. in, in that. I think you it's don't... sad because it's like, it shows that musicians don't have the freedom to do whatever they want. You know, they don't have the freedom to put the middle finger up at evil corporations. They kind of have to play the game, which I think mm -hmm. is the sad part of the modern music industry is where you're like, there's less and less artistry going on and more and more just like craftsmanship, you know, where you're just like, I make beautiful furniture rather than like, you can't sit on this thing. It's, but it's really amazing. You know, it's like, right. I see that happening a little bit. Obviously there's tons and tons of people who are still making art, but there's like a lot less focus on that. It seems and a lot more focus on just getting famous, which is like, not the point and not, right. how, you, not how you do it. You know, right. it's not how you help humanity with, no, you know, it's struggle through the void, you know, <laughs> sure. by getting famous. <laughs> Kim Kardashian's not helping humanity very much at all. <laughs> no, not, not yeah. in the least, but no. yeah. And yeah. And now the corporations are the ones that are the gatekeepers in the sense Dude, of like the YouTube corporate wars and... are only a few years away. I would say. Yeah. I mean, to be famous, you have to play the game of yeah. YouTube and TikTok and yeah. All and that. even, even me, you know, like, in indie success like was largely because of the bay area where i would play these like corporate parties of these startups when twitter was a startup you know mm -hmm. i mean i played like this twitter party and then after that i had eighty thousand twitter followers you know and it was just like and facebook parties and google parties oh, yeah. and it was like all of those kids then became my fans and it was and and because and, they had they were the world you know so it was like I didn't have to go on tour. I just somehow everybody heard my first EP, you know, it's just because mm -hmm. it like just traveled. So it worked for me, you know, but <laughs> yeah. it's like and now I find myself mindlessly scrolling and feeling, you know, smaller and smaller every day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So when did you go to college for music or did you move to? Well, Francisco, no, or? I went to college for um, like. I, in the end, I majored in English, creative writing, and minored in Italian. So uh -huh. I had like a total departure from music. I actually stopped playing music when I went to college because I was just like, I am a writer now. I will be a novelist. And I was just like, I don't listen to music. I don't play music. I listen to books on tape instead of when I want to listen to something. Oh, okay. And I See? went on this like ascetic like <laughs> journey. <laughs> was there a reason behind it or just... I think I just like just became obsessed with with uh, novels and okay. and the and writing. The idea of being a novelist became my rock star. You know, it was like I no longer wanted to be up in an amphitheater. I wanted to be at a very small gathering reading my beloved <laughs> work of literature. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so well, I, I mean, actually creative wrote... writing still in the the vein yes. of what you do now and like that education taught me everything i know about metaphors you know mm -hmm. and it like awakened my mind and gave me a thirst for knowledge which i carry forward today um yeah so i really value it i took one music class um and loved it i like you know wrote 
but learned how to like write music like staff oh okay stuff um staff stuff you know uh <laughs> box stuff staff stuff <laughs> <laughs> i know what you're I, saying. I didn't like i i did eventually start gigging at college so then like that was like sophomore year i quit music i also had a girlfriend who was like seriously into literature and like okay. being a writer so we met in a creative writing course which i took because writing was always a thing for me like english mm -hmm. was my thing in high school you know so that was like a no-brainer i also never once considered not going to college you know i never once considered not having like a scholastic life mm -hmm. um but at the same time i always wanted to be a musician you know and i like just assumed i would be so i don't know it was a weird path but there just truly wasn't an option to not take that path you know mm -hmm. so i did it um but i did start playing songs i like you know i discovered elliot smith i also discovered all music in college because in high school I was listening to, you know, classic rock that my mm -hmm. parents introduced me to and Fish and Dave Matthews. <laughs> so, <Okay. laughs> so perhaps we are seeing why I didn't write a good song until <laughs> after college. You know, I, how could I have? <laughs> you wrote like a 15 minute jam song. And I did. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah my my like fish amalgam songs are amazing like i tried that one of them i tried so i had these woods behind my house that was like a huge part of my upbringing mm -hmm. and i was like okay okay fish and i like went to a three-day fish festival and and uh am i allowed to talk about drugs on this yeah, thing you can talk okay, about whatever say you anything. want great you can say anything <laughs> <laughs> um and i and i like uh took mushrooms for the very first time had awakened to how connected we all are <laughs> right and just like saw like a golden rim around everyone and uh -huh. then went home to try to like document my experience a la a fish song okay. and it was called the the journey of pete's feet right so say no more then another one i tried to do was was to capture the way it felt to go cross-country skiing in those woods you know they were so small but i would strap on cross-country skis in the winter and just like it was beautiful, you know? And so I called it Tilliquintily Ivory Eyes. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I just I was like, I was like, fish has game henge for all my fish heads out there. That's the lore of fish. Is like Trey wrote this thesis in college called Game Henge. And it was like a rock opera. And it had all these characters and stuff. And that is how fish was born. So I was like, okay, okay. My game henge will be Tilliquintily. Like, so I was just like, you know, just like really <laughs> going off into the stratosphere. I love But anyway, that. so in college, my friend, you know, I was introduced to indie radio, basically college radio, which is one of the greatest things in the world, you know, mm -hmm. and also is probably why I have a career. Um, but my friend who was at the radio station was like, you got to come by, man, burn some CDs. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I was just kept being like, I would walk into that area where it's just wall-to-wall -wall cds you know that like tiny closet space and just pick things up like what's prefu 73 he's like oh, you don't know what that i'm like what are the books mm -hmm. i'm like david bowie is he any good like <laughs> like oh brian eno huh and it's it was so so amazing you know that that was the real education that i got and then i went to the library i mean i was just like stealing 
stealing music just like i probably stole like tens of thousands of dollars worth of cds because i would go to the library check out all these cds and even classical like um oh what's that guy's name doesn't matter no one you know nobody knows it anyway but just like avant-garde classical music jazz big band jazz just like oh you know going nuts and then that just like filled my brain with music again then i started playing music i was like trying to be Elliot Smith, then trying to be the postal service. But these are much better people to emulate, you know, than fish. fish Ooh, honestly, Matthews. if you're gonna <laughs> if you're gonna put it in a positive light, you can't emulate fish because they are utterly unique. You know? Right. You can't emulate Dave Matthews because he truly is very unique. Like if you think about oh, yeah. who are the most like unique vocalists, like authentic vocalists. Because like Joanna Newsom unique but she's doing it on purpose you know but like dave matt nobody sings nobody nobody's no, doing no. It. he just does it that's just yeah. him god bless him <laughs> yeah so that's how i came back to music and then okay. i got into modest mouse and um joy division and then that oh. was like bam so then i was like i'm starting a rock band and i'm actually starting an emo band so I like, okay <laughs> even though it wasn't emo in the sense of like the style of music it was emo in the sense of like the singing and the mm -hmm. subject matter where like i was in love with this girl who had a boyfriend and then i just like i would write about those songs and her boyfriend was there and she was like sort of falling in love with me too because of the songs but obviously would never be with me because i was like you know beneath her that kind of stuff just rife with like <laughs> emo tropes mm -hmm. and i was like i would like you know rock out and scream and that yeah i'm sorry i'm babbling but like to finish no, I the love story it. it like scream i screamed my voice out so like i couldn't sing for three months right after college and it was like devastating i mean i had no idea about vocal technique to that mm -hmm. extent i mean i had had a little instruction the last year of high school and chorus you know of just like breathe from your diaphragm but I had no uh, technique training. So I was just mm -hmm. like singing incorrectly, you know, or mm -hmm. like in a dangerous way, like where I was like closing my throat and stuff. And I would scream at rehearsal. Then we'd have a show the next day. I'd spray my throat, which was in so much pain with Vicks. Oh, yeah, yeah. Numb it so I could scream again. And then I'd be like, why can't I talk? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So that made me change my vocal style into what it is today where you know it sounds very sort of like choir boy kind of stuff of just like you know it's very round it's very open mm -hmm. and it's not affected in any way like that was that was a really hard journey was coming out from under loving nirvana oasis mm -hmm. you know and, and 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 tom york and then then just bands that screamed like the strokes you know and it's just like I loved, I loved that kind of singing, but it, it just wasn't inside my throat. I just couldn't do it. So then, you know, damaging myself and it wasn't that bad. It was, it was totally recoverable, mm -hmm. forced me to just decide to be myself. And then that's when the songs started to come. That's when like the vocal style started to happen. And that's when I became unique myself, you know? So it was like a really interesting journey mm -hmm. from, 12 years old to 23. Yeah. Wow. And then is that when you yeah. moved to San Francisco? 
Well, yeah, I moved to Boston right out of college. I was in like a band playing the saxophone. So that was my first like club shows. I played Middle East and TT the Bears, which is like these legendary venues in Boston. Okay. Um, and but then I quit that band because I was like, ah, I want to do my own thing. Then my sister passed away. I moved home. So then I lived in back in that basement for maybe like five months. And obviously with all the pain, I mm-hmm. just threw myself into music again. And I was just just like I was when I was a kid, I was like in the basement every single day writing songs. And I eventually wrote one one of the songs that became a geographer song. And then that was like, oh my God, I think I wrote a good song. And that was like Arcade Fire time for me. It was like mm-hmm. Arcade Fire Interpol. Um, then my friends rescued me and they were like, cause they were, they moved to San Francisco right after college. So then, but they lived in Philly. So they were like home one time and they were like, we're taking you to San Francisco because <laughs> your life here is very sad. Like I was working at an ad agency and you know, just like as an intern and then got bumped up. And I was like, I guess, I don't know. You know, it's just like yeah, so just, distraught. And right. I mean, just going through, through a bar something every night. Super traumatic. I mean, I can't yeah. even think about that. I mean, it, it really messed that. me up to, I'm, I, you know, still haven't recovered, you know? Right. But it like, they, I really owe those guys like everything because they were, they just stuffed me in, in a car, took me there. I took like that. No, it's not there anymore. It's right here. I took one synth uh my electric guitar didn't or my acoustic guitar didn't even have an electric guitar and then i went to san francisco and then that was like i started playing open mics there and then that's how i met my first band and my first friends and yeah and the whole thing opened from there wow is that when geographer really started was in san francisco yeah i was like i started a band with one of the guys from from college but it never we never played a show live we played one we we had a halloween party and we played at it so it was sort of like a hostage (laughs) hostage concert right right you know kind of like high school style where i was i was in a another band with my friends in high school and we would just be like party at dave's house everybody could get drunk there and then it was like also, you have to listen to our band. And we're playing. <laughs> <laughs> and I love it's, that. It's a, it's a dub reggae band. <laughs> Is that okay? Um, yeah. And then, uh, yeah, so just like, at first I was Mike Denny. You know, I was like performing like that. Because I was just a guy with an acoustic guitar mm-hmm. doing sad bastard songs. And then eventually i just wanted to expand the sound and you just kind of you don't really make choices when you're that age you're just like oh you play the cello yeah come here you know it's just like mm-hmm. it's not like i oh, i must have a cello like i was actually looking for like an accordion you know like hmm. things like that i was trying to go like um uh it's like chamber pop um okay. so then i got i like got this band together and it was kind of like a shared band between me and this girl Casey Johansing who's an artist um as well now just probably one of the most amazing female voices that has ever existed she just gorgeous voice um really special talent and so we would you know I would write some of the songs she would write some of the songs and then we would combine them and then we were like let's record an album so we went into Hyde Street Studios because her friend from 
Berkeley because she went to Berkeley School of Music, which actually mm -hmm. both of my other band members did too. Um, so oh, that's wow. how they all knew each other. So then I'm surrounded okay. by these like incredible musicians, you know. Uh -huh. um, he was an engineer at Hyde Street, so he was like, "Yeah, come in. I'll give you like." You know, I'm trying to build up my portfolio, so this is important. And we're all pretending that we know what we're doing, but like, I'm just like shitting myself because I'm just like, oh my god, I'm in the, I'm in a studio, like I'm so scared. Like everything was scary to me. Like, it well, was like it, you had never done that before. Oh yeah, and and like when you first uh, form a relationship with a microphone, you're just like, I um, here this captures my soul. You're like, right, right, right. <laughs> Do I send my soul? into it towards it like you know i yeah i was really scared like the entire time uh -huh. and then sorry my light went out <laughs> oh good i can still see um, you nice and then i you know but i had this like indomitable spirit where i forced myself to do the very things that scared me the most like i was like i took a lot of hits you know in life because then my dad passed away shortly after my sister like maybe like a year and a half after and it was just like i didn't know life worked that way you know it was mm -hmm. like i thought that you got a break um but i was just like i just refused to like give up on on my dreams and like basically my main dream was like have a full life like have like a meaningful existence because mm -hmm. i was like i was obsessed with meaning you know and like uh what does life mean? Why am I here? You know, just mm -hmm. obsessed with it. And I, that was the time when I thought I could actually figure it out. Um, now I know that I can't. So now I'm working on a different conundrum, which is like, how do you satisfy yourself when you know that there is no purpose and that there is no quote unquote reason that you're here? Let's move past that. What are we doing here? You know? That that's what I'm working on now. That's what the songs okay. are about now. But before they were about like, you know, taking stabs at what the meaning was. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just like also I was terrified of dancing. I was like I would go to a club with my friends and dance and just like heart pounding terror until I desensitized myself to it. Then I was terrified of playing shows. But I like really just like couldn't even really hear mm -hmm. and then eventually desensitized myself to that. So I think it was like the band really helped me as a person as well, because I just had had to face so many fears through it of just like being social and like putting myself out there, you know, and like the last bastion was crowd surfing. I was just like terrified to crowd surf, you know, because I was terrified to fail. But a uh -huh. huge part of being an artist is failure. So I think that was like really integral. But then I crowd surfed at Outside Lands when we played that. Just so scared, blacked out, did it. And then before you know it, I'm like stiff as a board in like a straight up Jesus pose like out of the, <laughs> of the crowd. And there's this like epic photo taken by a photographer, Paige Parsons. And it's just like, it's like legendary. It's That's <laughs> cool. That is cool. When yeah. you said when you said crowd surf, I didn't know if you meant as the artist or just like at a show, like lift me up. <laughs> you know, oh, no, no. As the artist, I'm yeah. like diving. But then I got like sort of addicted to it and that I went on tour <laughs> after that and every show I would crowd surf. That's awesome. Until there was a there was a crowd that was a little light in Chicago. I did uh -oh. it anyway. 
not good. I like. I like <laughs> was it like everyone moved? <laughs> no, they 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 tried, but okay. they were just like it. Really was the you know because when you distribute your weight over ten people, no problem. But this was right. like maybe three, so I was like. <laughs> And I ended up, I like the back of my heel, like hit this girl in the forehead. And I had like, that was in the like red wing boot craze. So I was wearing like wooden (laughs) boots. And that I I, like, I didn't crowd surf for years after that because I was like really, I was like, okay, so let me get this straight. This girl came to my show because she loves my music and I kicked her in the head. I'm just like that. Obviously, we like showered her with T-shirts and stuff. She came up to us after. She was like really wasted, I guess, because she was in so much pain. And she was just, like, "He kicked me in the head." I was like, "Oh my god, it was you!" I'm so thank you so much for. It was just like really <laughs> Here's frightening shirts. experience. <laughs> His shirts will help you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh wow. Yeah. Been a lot of strange experiences out there on the road. <laughs> That's awesome, though. That is awesome. So with Innocent Coast. Uh, that you put a whole record out. Was that done independently? Yeah. Yeah. That, that was the record that happened at Hyde street. Okay. Um, and it was just us literally playing our parts, you know, it was like very different from the way I make records now, which is like, you know, pour over them. I basically do it all myself and like mm-hmm. a lot of it at home. But this one was like, we learn the songs. You are a cellist. You play a cello part. I am a guitarist. I play one guitar part. There's no layering, no nothing. Mm-hmm. So it was like really simple. I mean, I couldn't believe it was happening. It was like such a dream. And I was like, I'm making a record. But because I had that DIY experience, I was like, I'm just going to release this myself, you know, like screw it. So I like printed out all the CDs. My friend uh, Liz Marr painted the front cover. That was also the time of life where you you would ask your talented friends to do things for you and they just do it for free. You know, it's Mm -hmm. not like, well, you know, I. I do this for a living, so you have to pay me. Like nobody did it for a living. Everybody was just like, <laughs> right, just did it to do it. Yeah, I just want to do it. Right. Um, and it was just this beautiful experience. I had so many like friends in that group that that just like rallied around it, would come to all my shows, and yeah, just putting that CD out. I guess, like, I'm trying to think how I like put it out. I think I probably had like a release show. And then would just sell it at shows. And then that's how, and and like radio stations and blogs around San Francisco, like the Bay Bridge. Um, Yeah, they kind of like, there was one song on it that was like actually good. You know, there's like some good songs on it, but there's one that I, I, you know, am proud of. Can't you wait? First song. Mm -hmm. But it was like, that was my first like minor little spark was that song where it was like, people would hear that song and just be like, Ooh, what's that? Mm -hmm. Um, And I made a music video for it with all my friends where I just like brought them out to the Marin headlands. We had, (laughs) so like, I'm like, okay, I've never made a music video before. What do I want to do? I want to do a single shot choreographed dance with 25 people. (laughs) You know, it's like perfect. (laughs) Um, So I, I like, compiled human beings some were my friends some were their friends it was just like friends of friends just that creative drive from everybody i wrote the choreography like with just some oh, guy wow. you did yeah. you did all of it yeah with the director who was just a guy with a camera um <laughs> 
And then we met in my rehearsal space, which was in this big warehouse out like by the docks. And would I split them up into groups and we would have them rehearse. Like I like planned it all out. I made them all spaghetti, you know, wow. <laughs> that was how I got them there. And then, then on the day woke up really early. I had like a bag full of, of um, peanut butter and honey sandwiches. That was all the payment they needed coordinated everybody getting out there in cars and there's like 25 people out on like the top of a bunker because there's all those bunkers out in san francisco yeah, yeah, yeah. To prevent from the japanese invasion um in the 40s and uh <laughs> and then we're all out there and it was misty and beautiful and then we're shooting it and like doing these one take like this one take thing and it was amazing you know it's like there was a long period of time where i was really embarrassed about it because i was like Oh, I look terrible. Like it's so silly. The the, the like quality is terrible. But I'm like now I, I'm so proud of it because it's like, look at that. Like look what yeah. you did. Like it's like and you got all your friends together and look at them just like really going for it. It's like very. I took a modern dance class in college. Here we go. You know, it's yeah, like very it's like cool. <laughs> you know, <yeah. laughs> When you put out uh, Animal Shapes, was that like when you started getting the radio success a little bit? Or yes. did Aaron play the other record on, on Soundcheck? Or was it know. not until Animal Shapes? I would be surprised if he had played Can't You Wait. I don't think anything really happened until Animal Shapes. Okay. Um, but, well, no, not Animal Shapes. So after can't, after Innocent Ghosts, we, you know, then the band changed quite a bit, like, uh, Casey left the band and then it, it really kind of became, that's when it became geographer, um, it was Brian and Nate and myself. Um, and then we started like doing more with synths and electronics and stuff mm -hmm. kind of because we no longer had Casey who was a keyboardist. It was like, all right, well, what do we do with all Casey's parts? And then it was Nate's idea to be like, I mean, we can play Ableton on stage and like have her part running in the background. And I was like, oh. what? Like, what are you talking about? But those two guys, because I, I was like sort of looked up to their musical prowess. Brian was like, yes, yeah, no, that happens a lot. I'm like, okay. So then we just did that. And then that morphed into like, let's not just have this playing in the background. Let's like, let's start looping things. And let's mm -hmm. like use it as a tool. So then that really kind of guided the writing um, because I would like write for that in a way. And like Nate would come to my house and just like play a really weird drum beat. And then I would just like noodle a song. I mean, it didn't happen a lot, but like mm -hmm. that's how the song Night Winds came to be. I just like really, really unique drum pattern that I really love. Um, and I started playing synth more and then we were like, okay, um, it's time to put out something else. We want to put out a seven inch. And so oh. I had these, yeah. So I had these two songs. One was a cover of age of consent that I just made just totally in my bedroom with like one with, with software synthesizer FM eight, which is like a basically modeling a synthesizer that I did have, but it was uh -huh. just easier to use. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and I, I don't know why, I just made the whole thing in my bedroom and then brought it to the guys and Brian, they loved it. And then like, you know, Nate doubled some of the lines with his cello and then added some like cool atmospheric stuff. And then, and then 
you know, the arrangement changed a little bit where it was like a, there was like a drop at the end, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also had written Kites in that same bedroom. And that was, that was the big song for me. Yeah. Like, that was the one. That's um, what I remember Aaron playing. Yes, exactly. And then I, I had this like tiny little keyboard that somewhere around here, but I, I, I was just like really zenned out and just like wrote that signature arpeggio and then brought that to the guys. And basically that song was like done, you know, somehow it was like, it did exist in other iterations where I think I'd been playing it live with the band for a few, maybe one year, but it was totally different. It was called sad eyed roses. And it was, it was like, sad eyed roses. it was like a totally different song. Oh, interesting. It was, it was the, idea of the song it was like but the arpeggio was a little different and the melody was different and then one day i don't know why i was just like this isn't good enough everything needs to change like the melody needs to change the arpeggio needs to change and i just i I just got lucky you know i just like hit the core hit hit the like seam at the right moment and like Mm -hmm. the oil came out and (laughs) and uh so we recorded them at Hyde Street Studios with the same guy. And uh, then we put them out as a seven inch, got another artist to do that one. Um, and we, so I, I, I just like had this bit of a music scene of people that I knew, you know, just from playing shows and like begging them to let me open for them. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the guys, um, he, he like introduced me to this artist and he drew Bennett who's uh, actually Beck Bennett's brother from SNL. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, isn't that kind of crazy? Th- that is crazy. Yeah, like I found that out a few years later. I was like, you're bro. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's like, yeah, it's crazy. Um, which is wild that that just happens. You know, like one day you have a brother and he's funny and he's in a comedy troupe in, in LA. And then the next day, everybody knows his name. <laughs> right. I know. Like growl- yeah. Was he in Growlings or one of the other ones? Or- I forget if he was UCB or Groundlings, probably UCB. Groundlings. Yeah. yeah. But I think he actually had his own, like with Kyle, um, what's his name? Who's the super funny dude, Kyle. He's anyway, I don't, <laughs> know. I don't know. But like, <laughs> so, so Drew is this amazing visual artist. He's like doing great things now, but back then he just wanted to do cool shit. So he, we, I went over his house and we like talked about the idea and he got so excited and like, he was like, okay, okay, okay. I got an idea. And then, came back a couple weeks later and just had that diamond pattern, you know, mm-hmm. which has kind of also become a signature geographer thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just so cool because he, you know, he did it with like spray paint, I think, and, and did it all like uh, physical and then passed it off to a designer, Katie Wilson, um, who then turned it into animal, the animal shapes, colors and stuff. But the seven inches just straight up, I think maybe just like, it was just simpler. Like Katie just did like a couple color options and then we picked one. Um, and then, so that came out on tricycle records. So I must have signed to them before that. Cause I think at that point we were putting out demos. We knew kites was a great song. Mm -hmm. So then we, you know, we would all come to my house and like stuff envelopes. We had a spreadsheet, send them out to all every label that we loved, you know, heard absolutely no reply from anyone (laughs) except (laughs) tricycle records (laughs) so i was like all right 
tricycle it is. So I met with Julie Shukard. She was like the um, the head of uh, Tricycle Records at, with Don Jocelyn. And she, you know, she was talking to me. And she was like, so why tricycle? And I forget what I said. I wonder if I was like, well, you're the only one that saw potential in us. I, I don't know what I must have said because I probably wanted to seem worth it. Right. right. So I was probably like... I think I probably made something up like, I don't know. It's just like the, you know, like just a local is like really important to me. You're the only one who will have me, <laughs> you know? So it's like talking about this is just reminding me all the people that I like owe so much gratitude to, you know, where they were just like, like Julie just loved music so passionately, you know, and she loved San Francisco and she just wanted to make a San Francisco band, you know, she wanted to her joy and their business model was like, we want to put you on the map and then you go forth and have your career. And then we like reap the benefits of like the, the trickle down from that. Yeah. Right. And that's exactly what happened, you know? And not only did she, cause a lot of people, the first person they signed with, it kind of screws them over, but with right. her, their their contract was so generous that it like gave it gave the artist the ability to fly free it was like we we don't have you we're we're literally helping you and it was like a pay it forward thing it was like by giving you your freedom we understand that your fans will then come back to the original if it's mm -hmm. good and like animal shapes is probably still my most streamed thing you know and like so it really worked out great it was like you know, I and when I did get signed to a, a bigger label, I was able to grab kites and just remix it and put it on that, you know, so it wasn't this like we signed you for kites, but we can't have it. So we don't want you, you know, so it was like there was right. no there was no like stranglehold on me, which I, I really am really grateful for. But like that, that's when things took off was with that seven inch. Um, Interesting. Isn't that amazing? It's just yeah. like a seven inch. God. And it's so beautiful. I I have I, I saved one copy for myself. Um <clears throat> Yeah, that's, it just that, I'm, yeah, I mean, I'm it's just like crazy to think of like a seven inch man. because of you know the likelihood of you'd have to own a turntable and like yeah. everything else at that point. It's not like you're handing out the record and people yeah. have a CD player in their car or, or at home yeah. or whatever. But it was just like it was just so hip, you know, mm -hmm. to like <laughs> to buy a seven inch of a new band and super uh, cool yeah and then we we started playing like bigger shows around the bay and then i remember the time when i was like what's happening <laughs> you know that first moment where we played it was actually the animal shapes release party so we we had to turn animal shapes around like really quick after that okay. so in just a few months i finished like i had all these songs you know that i was like really toiling over like verona took a year to do and it was just like kites it was so much different it started out as like a a beirut song like trying to just trying to do what beirut does you know like just something that awesome and then eventually giving up on that hope was how verona came out and i was like oh this seems to be equally awesome but also very different mm -hmm. um and mgmt came out around that time so it was like that was my wheelhouse where I was just oh, like, yeah. yes, this is popular. <laughs> <Just> like <laughs> driving synth bass, you know? 
but I was always like felt really different because I was like, I can't sing like any of these guys, you know, but I just like sort of went for it, did my thing. And then when I noticed that like people actually were connecting with it was when we had the Animal Shapes release show at the rickshaw stop, you know, just like where we'd played so many times before to like maybe 30 people. But this one was sold out. And I was just wow. like, what? Like I like my heart just exploded like i was so happy it was like my dreams coming true mm -hmm. and the crowd was crazy like we played i was like they love us it, it was such an interesting experience and like my friends who had been sort of buoying me on on their energy coming to every show being every show you know they were like they felt like a celebration too because they're like we did it you know yeah, like on top totally. of each other's shoulders just like it was raucous <laughs> that's cool yeah and then the the first time i was like oh this is like a big thing now was when i played the getty they the, the getty like i don't know if they still do but they did a lot of really cool shows outside in the upstairs patio hmm. and they would like be like light up the wall and then they put a stage and then they you know people bought tickets to it and it was just really cool. You could walk around the Getty and like get drunk and listen to bands. That is um, cool. I, I, I'd never been to that. That's awesome. Do you, I mean, if they do it again, yeah, it was really fun. But going to the merch table after that show and then just seeing a line of people who didn't want to buy anything, they just want to take pictures with us. Like we were amazed. Like it, it really was just like, what? Like, it was like <laughs> you want what like and like we were just buzzing after that just the 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 notion that you've actually done it you have succeeded you've made something that means as much to people as the music that made you do it in the first place means to you mm -hmm. it, it was just uh yeah i'll never forget that experience and that was when it was like off to the races we were rolling it's like going on tours yeah yeah wow 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 and then how did that all kind of come to a halt for you when COVID happened oh god were you on the road <clears throat> no thank goodness yeah i was like i mean i'd gone through so, the band's gone through so many changes since then it's like i, I don't yeah. even yeah like two other bands have happened since then as far as like the touring bands um and, and I was you put out a, a bunch of records oh and, yeah a bunch I, of records yeah and then and then like like tons and tons of touring but then i moved from san francisco to los angeles which was like a huge deal for me because so much of my identity was san francisco um both personally and professionally right so it was like it was really hard for me to do that but i'm so glad i did because it opened up this other world and that world you know eventually got me my manager who i just love he's just like number one guy and and then he got me signed to network records and it's like and finally i have i have like a creative partner i feel you know because mm -hmm. like the other labels they were either too small or too big to really focus on me you know it's like <clears throat> like a label like tricycle literally does everything they possibly can but they just don't have a huge reach, you know? But mm -hmm. then when I signed to Modern Art, that, that was like an upstream label. Yeah, they're a huge means, label. Yeah, huge like they, like it's like Atlantic, which is yeah. under Warner. So it's like the hope is you do all the work yourself 
and then you become successful on your own and then you we grab you and we take all your money. So right. like, <laughs> then, we, then, we, then we boost you up to the Atlantics or the Warner Brothers. Yeah, and then if you don't succeed there, we'll show your you. career is over. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> it's really intense, you know. But yeah, the major label scene, I mean, it's just so intense. So to find a label that like has a big reach and works really hard and has other great bands and is creative like i don't know it's it, honestly it, it's like it's a dream come true because like i have a you know a and r person over there and i just like deeply value his opinion you know mm -hmm. which is not what you're used to you're just like you know a and r people are they're supposed to be an asset they're supposed to come into the studio and and improve your music you know but the what usually happens is they come into the studio and then they ruin it, you know, but it's like, <laughs> so that's what I love about, you know, in indie labels is that there's artists there, you know, mm -hmm. so I, I, I feel like I have this whole team of people that I work with on every aspect of everything, the, the, the visuals and like, we're always just like, and I just feel like they're just working towards taking the stuff out of my brain and making it a reality. And it's, it's just so fulfilling. But so that happened um mid pandemic actually so i oh, really yeah so you signed with them mid pandemic yeah i was like going full full diy again you know i mm -hmm. like i did the whole crowdfunding thing and then that was a disaster because i i chose pledge music instead of kickstarter um and pledge music went bankrupt oh so they, yeah didn't they have something didn't they have something happen with them like they i don't know some like scandal or no yes bad okay. i don't know what but like bad things happened with them and then they yeah. kept the money oh wow so it was like i did all this like year of work and you work so hard for that and then my fans thinking they were supporting me directly paid their hard-earned cash they got their stuff but the reason they did it was to help to support me. you yeah right. to like you know i can go on tour longer i can you know and like <clears throat> and they just kept the money and that was like devastating that was the last thing that happened to me in san francisco and then so then i like came down here i put out uh an ep called new jersey which was sort mm -hmm. of like that my return my first step back into like i no longer care about like career steps or like trying to get popular you know like because I, I, I want to be humongous, you know what I mean? Like, I want to be, I want to be in everybody's stereo, you know? Right, like, that's, that's my dream. Yes, of course it is. Why else would I do this? It's like, oh, I thought, you know, I only want to play too. You know, it's like, right, right. yeah, I, I just want to spread this thing all over the world. Um, but I, I kind of like lost the thread a little bit because of that desire, I think. You know, mm -hmm. um, I stopped focusing on what actually gets you that, which is the work, you know. Um, so then New Jersey was my return to being like, you know what? Screw everything. I'm going to I'm just going to make like weird songs that I really want that I want people to like, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> not like, oh, I hear this is popular. I'm going to try to incorporate that into my song. So then that was a really important step on the journey. That was a really great tour as well. Then it was like, okay, we're back home. Tour was that the over. tour with the uh, Tokyo Police Club? 
No, that, that was maybe mid Ghost Modern Tour. I think. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and but I mean that was awesome too. But that was like <laughs> you know <laughs> a bit, fair bit earlier. Yeah. Um, Got it. And then let's see. So so then I think I was just like writing. You know, I was just like in my writing phase, and I had written almost everything that was on my new album, uh, Down and Out in the Garden of Birthday Delights, the one that's coming out. Coming out. Mm -hmm. um, will it still be coming out by the time this is released, or will it, when is this going to come out? Oh, uh, we're shooting, I, th I think, uh, the week of the 8th. It's gonna oh, come perfect. Out. Okay, so yes, when you're listening to this, it'll be out in a few days. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> um, uh, it's almost as if that was orchestrated. We... <laughs> <laughs> um so i had all those songs and, and a lot like the song has the album has like 21 songs on it or something like that really which wow. is insane in this that day. is a lot of records are a lot of songs on one record yeah. and it's like you know because now it's like singles singles mm -hmm. time ep time like you just release small chunks and, that, and then just constantly but right. i just like ref i i don't know i was just like adamant about i am no i'm releasing a work you know like a piece of work i'm not releasing something in service of my career you know like i do this because i because i need to you know because i need to make these things and it's very important to me so i'm making an album you know a double album <laughs> yeah i was gonna say not an album but more like a double, yeah, double like disc. even something in the heyday of albums that was stupid <laughs> like, like where they were just like you mean people it costs the same and but it costs us twice as much <laughs> it's like <laughs> right. yes yeah. thank you <laughs> you mean it's gonna um, be six vinyls <laughs> yeah exactly exactly and, and they all have to be 180 grams <laughs> yep, exactly. yeah but uh so i was just adamant about that and my manager was on board new manager um and i was i luckily finished recording it basically like right before you know oh like, really yeah because i was going right up against i mean that's also like not a lot of lead time to release an album but mm -hmm. i had like vinyl locked in because vinyl moon was did like the first run um of this and then new I was album like, yeah oh so you are doing vinyl how many oh yeah 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 well now <laughs> is i did it four discs it is yeah it's, okay. no 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 it's two, it's two four sides yeah okay yeah um I think am i wrong about that no no that's true yeah yeah one is like really uh like this deep blue and then the other is a cream and they're, they're, it's so cool the vinyl that is awesome it's gorgeous but yeah so i i was like bouncing back and forth to san francisco because i didn't really have a foothold here yet mm -hmm. i had a couple people that i liked working with um then my manager introduced me to a couple people but i still had my favorite people in san francisco so i was like staying with friends in san francisco um and recording the album you know so it's like one song at a time so mm -hmm. i would like i'd get i book studio time get my drummer in he recorded like all of his drums to all the songs right and then i was like okay um i'll do the vocals at this studio in la and then the guitar at this studio in san francisco then my friend from tour will mix it, you know? And so it was like really scattered. Okay. Like doing the credits for this was very, <laughs> very intense. It was like yeah. almost as intense as mastering it. 
but but I also like have never worked like that before where I got so many people involved, like so mm -hmm. many friends, so many minds, like so many people that I respect their choices, you know, um, because there always comes a point in an in in writing a song. Well, more an album, not every song, but most songs. I'm like, all right, I got this as far as I can, but I, it's not it's not as good as I want it to be. But I I don't have it within me to make it any better. So then mm -hmm. I'm like, take it to a you know a producer, or or even just a mix engineer who will like intelligently mix it and be like, oh this needs a different hi hat pattern. And you're like, got it, you know, mm -hmm. and like that's the thing that makes it fall into place, or you know, which I did the first time, not the first time ever, but just like where I brought a song in that didn't exist, you know, where it was just a song. Like, because usually I arrange them all myself. I like, you know, use these synths and everything to, I record most of my records at home before I bring it into the studio. And then I bring all the stems in oh, and I re-record what I need to. Mm -hmm. And I do the vocals and the guitars and the, the drums there. Now that I have my own studio, I, I, I mostly can do everything myself, but that's, that's all happened because of COVID, you know, where I was like, I have to keep making songs. So finally had to figure out how to do everything myself and I can do everything except like a drum kit in here. Um, but yeah, so I, I had that experience where I also wrote a song with, with like other people, which I truly had never done before you know oh wow and that was really exciting i i like i started doing that a lot in la just like oh what does that mean you write a song with other people because like coming from the world that i came from is so far removed from the music industry that you know breaking in it's it's very surprising that you're like wait you mean like you don't like get all bent out of shape and feel sad and write a song like you just like write a song on purpose you know like <laughs> yeah. with a pre-set subject matter <laughs> like i was just like very confused but wanted uh -huh. to try it and i had a bunch of friends who like um gave up on the band thing because they were like this sucks <laughs> like and they're just like this is not a great life um uh -huh. i'm just gonna write songs now for other artists or for tv and stuff and i just kind of like they they just sort of like took me under their wing and would mm -hmm. loop me in on their sessions. And then I got, I really liked doing it. And one of those songs became, um, well, I can't even think of the name. <laughs> oh, uh, but there's a, anyway, it was a, a one-off that I released between a couple of my albums. And it was actually got pretty popular, which is funny that I can't remember the name. <laughs> but it, I wrote it with those guys and then actually liked it because I always thought of like those writing sessions as like you write songs that um, I mean, I can sing the song. Oh, get there soon. OK, great. OK, I was going to look for you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. And because I, I was like, you write these songs and you don't like them, you don't care about them, but, you know, you make some money. Right. It's like, that's fine. But this one, I was like, wait a second. This is way better than than I could have written by myself. And it's like, obviously, because you wrote with two other like songwriters who are really great. Mm -hmm. And and then I, that's when I learned it's not evil to write with other people. It doesn't dumb down your creativity, it actually lifts your creativity. So I still obviously like writing all by myself, but there was a couple songs on this new album that 
they just weren't there, you know? And it was like, I was like, I love this song, but it doesn't have a chorus. So I guess I can't put it on. And then my manager hooked me up with um, this artist, Evelyn, and she came to my, my old house um, and just like saved three songs in one day. Wow. And we basically like wrote an, an entire song, Hollow. We wrote, basically wrote that entire song that day and then did two others. It was like amazing. Like I had the instrumental almost totally done. And then she was just like, oh, I love this song. What well, was like, ooh. And I was like, I love that. And then <laughs> it's just so fun. It's like, cause it gets really um, lonely to just like, mm-hmm. to just be alone, making your music very sad, not very fun. Not the reason why we got into music instead <laughs> of novel writing, right? <laughs> <laughs> if you wanted to sit alone, you could just write a novel. Yeah, I could just eat my beans in my shack behind my house and just write, <laughs> you know? <laughs> write a novel. <laughs> just write a novel. Good for you. And, uh, <laughs> Yeah, but music is a celebration. You write the thing and then you celebrate it for the rest of your life if you're lucky. Sure. But so that happened a lot. And then and then I also wrote Alibi uh, from the new album was one I wrote. Did not intend to put that on the album. I was just like, I just really admired this guy, Taylor Locke. Like he just, because I worked with him on, he mixed, he produced and mixed Lonely from my Alone Time EP. Mm-hmm. which is one of my favorite songs I've ever made. And it's just like one of those songs that's just like under the radar, you know? It's like, it's very odd how that happens where like the songs I'm most proud of are very rarely the ones that connect to humanity the most. And, mm-hmm. and that's interesting. And I, I'm just trying to figure out why that is, you know? I mean, Kites, when I wrote that, I was like, this is my favorite song I've ever written. This is the best song I've ever written. And then it was also people's favorite song yeah made sense but like ever since then i think it's like because my achievement when i'm achievement focused i'm like it has nothing to do with connecting with humanity you know when Mm -hmm. i'm because it's a it's a it's a conversation with myself is maybe why i'm just like trying to figure this out with you (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) i like it (laughs) because i because i think a lot about What's the purpose of a song? Why or art in general? When is art good? Um, and why? Why why do people connect with it? And I think it's because we forget that you know, just to go back to Tilaquintily, Ivory Eyes, we are all connected. You mm-hmm. know, literally ev- every particle in our bodies is a part of the whole. And it's no different than the particles in this microphone or the particles in a moon in some distant galaxy. Like we are all part of something. You can't deny that, you know? So, but we do deny that. Mm-hmm. We, we, we isolate ourselves and we, we, we think that we are so separate and individuated, you know, that we love remembering how connected we are. It is such a soothing feeling. It's like, it's like just letting the river take you. So then a really good piece of art or like a mediocre piece of art will tell you that we're all connected, but a really good piece of art will ask the question, like, are we connected? And then lead you to make the conclusion yourself. And like how that's done is still, I'm still formulating that. These are literally thoughts that I had like two nights ago after, after finishing Battlestar Galactica for the first time. <laughs> Cause I lost my mind. Like I watched the, finale of Battlestar Galactica and 
I like had a nervous breakdown, just like because <laughs> <laughs> it was it was so sad, and I connected to it so much. I I, I won't spoil it for anybody, but I just like I bawled all night, and wow. just like and just had so many revelations just about you know myself about life but why did that affect me so much why did i connect to that what does it mean how could i connect to something that a totally different person i've never met wrote mm -hmm. we can't be that different can we you know and right. then it's like that universal thread that runs through humanity that's what you're trying to jump on and then mm -hmm. now i understand what people like keith richards say when they're like Oh, I didn't write the song, man. It came to me. You know, it's like, I would always be like, fuck you. You wrote right. it. You know, right, but now right. I'm like, I understand. You're a conduit. You have a sensitivity, a heightened sensitivity to like, you sort of can like dip into the psychotic kaleidoscopic nightmare dream that is existence. Like, you're just like, oh my God. <laughs> and then you like come back to the real world. <laughs> And if you can take that and bring it back to people in a way that they can experience in a safe way, because it's not entirely safe to be an artist. Your life can kind of suck, you know? Right. Because you open the chances up. of it of yes. not making it is very high. Exactly. And just on a, a you know personal level, you open yourself up to like pretty wretched emotions and like terror, you know, <laughs> and like Criticism. just the things that comprise your songs. Yes, exactly. Um, and so if you can bottle that, that's what I think they mean, where they're just like, yeah, I'm a conduit. I can see more than other people. I obviously can't, I don't know what I'm seeing, but mm -hmm. here it is, you know, cause no, you're never going to have truth or anything like that. It's just, you want to taste truth. You don't want to understand it cause you can't, you know, mm -hmm. it, it would explode your mind. Like when people say to me, oh, you have the voice of an angel. I'm like, correction. I have a feeling if you ever heard an angel's voice, your brain would literally explode. Like I imagine <laughs> angels sound terrified. Like it's just like, like <laughs> so nothing like we, we compare yeah, it's not them pretty. to. It's not a pretty yeah. sound. It's like an otherworldly horrific sound. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> wow. Well, I can't wait to hear the record. I can't believe it's that many songs, man. That's that's yeah impressive. i just went for it and then and then i put bonus songs on too so it was like <laughs> wow because i just knew like i write constantly so i you know for now i'm never in a position where i'm like oh my god i have to write songs and then if i am in that position i'll just call up my friends and we'll write a couple songs you like i yeah. feel relaxed about it so i think it's okay for me to put just put it all out there you know just like mm -hmm. this is the period of my life you know, here it is. And I love that. And I think that's why I connect so much to this album because because of COVID, I had to cancel the release of the album. I had to cancel the tour. Mm -hmm. I was, I was about to go to, to Oakland to rehearse with my drummer. And when lockdown, not lockdown, but like the first warnings happened. And I was like, I don't know if I feel like going to Oakland and staying in someone's house. This is getting a little weird, mm -hmm. you know, like it's like it feels unsafe. And so I canceled re rehearsals, which was like insane. And then a week after that, total everything lockdown. shut down. So then I had to cancel the tour. Really traumatic. I like the way I coped with that was I did 
a weekly live stream. Okay. Like, it was such a traumatic time to yeah. be a human being. It was really frightening, really frightening. Like now we're used to it. We're like, oh yeah, you could be killed by anyone. <laughs> you know, it's like, we're, yeah. <laughs> we're used to that. Like people who love you could kill you by mistake. Right. Um, Have you seen the new uh, Dave Chappelle stand up on Netflix? I haven't watched the it yet. I was a little nervous one. to watch it. Yeah, I watched it the other night. I mean, it, it's he he does take it a little far. And even, sure. the, even the crowd is like not laughing. <laughs> a lot of that it. stuff but, makes me so uncomfortable. Yeah, it's pretty uncomfortable. But um, he does have a joke because he had COVID and he makes a joke about oh. how like he maybe have killed like a thousand people because of just, you know, just being around, not knowing oh that he had, you know, God, because it was before it became this big thing, but he was like, yeah, Whoa. I was feeling sick. And then I found out that I ended up having it. And, you know, he's like, and I'm shaking hands and seeing all these people. Cause it wasn't like a thing yet. And like, it's just, Oh my God. My, I just thought of what you just said, you know, like yeah. anyone, you're just like a mass murderer. You could be, you know what it's I mean? It's so crazy. Intense. It's so <laughs> intense. Yeah. I bet he's like struggling with that. And that's why he made it a joke. Yeah. Cause I wouldn't, I never thought of that. I mean, luck, knock on wood, Agreed. I haven't got it, but it, yeah. it's like one of those things that you can't help to think about. Now I wouldn't have thought of it until he said that. I was like, oh, yeah, damn, exactly. Like, You're like, damn, responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, sorry to go on yeah. that tangent, but no, it was no, just that's like, okay. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I thought, I thought of that. I was like, whoa. Yeah, that's yeah. totally true. Yeah, it was psychotic. It was mm -hmm. totally psychotic. I'm like wiping my groceries with an alcohol wipe. You know, it's right. like I'm weird and I'm very scared of getting sick, but I'm not quite that weird, you know, but it's like and then you thought that's what you had to do. Then you didn't have to do it. You can't leave your house, which honestly for me wasn't that hard until it was, you know, until you're just same like, with me. I'm like, I'm such an introvert. I'm like, exactly. Oh, stay at home and I don't have to talk to people. This is yeah. <laughs> so I just wrote up. <laughs> tons of songs, you know, I made like an entire ambient album that really may never be released. You know, I like, I, I released them all on YouTube. Um, but I just like wanted out. to I like, love, I love that like ambient. That's why yeah. I like, I like listening to like film scores because it's exactly. Cool. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It, it's just most of what I put on, honestly, is just like Brian Eno's Another Green World. <laughs> it's uh, just like I love most, it. <laughs> it's just like, I want to relax and be extremely stimulated. It's very rare that ambient music does both those things. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so I started doing a weekly live stream just like for free um, on all platforms, like kind of like a dumb thing to do where you're just like, <laughs> like <laughs> really spread it thin. But I, I just really wanted to connect with people. And I knew it meant a lot to like a small group of people, you know, mm -hmm. that like I knew how I felt and that I was uniquely positioned to deal with this situation where I didn't need to leave my house as much as other people do. Cause you know, I'm used to it. I'm used to just spending all my time alone working. Mm -hmm. um, but not a lot of people are like that. So then it became this really special thing for both, for all of us, like me and, and the fans. And I did that until like maybe August. Wow. Yeah. Every single week. Um, and that, that really helped me get through like a lot mm -hmm. then it was like okay i gotta stop doing this because this is gonna last a long time and i I sort of have to make an income you know so then it was like okay live streams aren't free anymore you know it's like i you know I'm trying to figure out how that all works and like will yeah. people look at that as a concert etc cetera, etc cetera. um 
Yeah, but then I threw myself more into uh, writing songs for TV shows and, oh, and cool. commercials. Like sing um, stuff? Yeah, and I landed a couple really big ones. And I was like asked to write a song for New Amsterdam, a TV show. Really? And yeah, and I wrote When Will I Belong, which is, you know, one of my most popular recent songs and yeah. one of my favorite compositions. And that was a, a really unique moment for me, too, because I was like, oh, this actually helps me write a song where they're like, all right, we want it to be really personal. And like, here's a bunch of words like that could maybe tip something off for you. Like these are like touch points, like this kind of vibe. We want it to be, you know, personal, but not about love, which is like such a great challenge because it's mm -hmm. so easy to just throw a you in there. And I did, you know, <laughs> and I did. But, I, but I really <laughs> kept it. I kept it universal and I kept it off love, but, but they were adamant that it had to be personal. So it was like a really unique um, request. And it just helped me write this song I never would have written. So it's like, and then that went on the album. So the album was able to grow a little bit in that time as well. And then it gave me time to just release pretty much half of the songs and albums worth of songs. Yeah, you've released a lot of singles. <laughs> yeah, and there's still half an album to come. It's amazing. <laughs> that I, is cool. Yeah. And and then I signed like started the network signing process, which was like a mm -hmm. long process, obviously talking with them, getting to know them, like starting to feel comfortable with them. And like, you know, then the back and forth of like the actual contract it takes a really long time, even though everybody's like, yeah, good to go. And then you're just like, OK, another revision, you know, like little things. Right. Um, yeah. And then that happened. So that was like a huge that that just really changed my pandemic, basically, to be like, wow, I think. I have reached a new height here somehow. Like, you know, when all these horrible things are happening and I'm alone in my room and I can't, I'm not in touch with my like raison d'etre. I can't like go on tour. I can't perform. I can't do anything. But yet, you know, things are still moving on. And then, I, so I had gotten together with a creative director, Ross Nickel, um, at Off Season Creative. And this is the first time I ever did that was like, because now that I'm in LA, it's sort of like, people down here do things for real. Like they're like, like the image is very, they, people really focus on image here and it can go wrong when that's all they focus on. Mm -hmm. But when you have already yourself and your identity, like I have often been frustrated that I've never been able to, to present my image in a way that I feel matches the quality of the music, you know, just because I'm not, I like don't have that brain or at least I didn't until I really had to work it during the pandemic. And with this guy, Ross, who like really, you know, we, we really worked on, on the, the image side of it together. And we kept it very like, you know, I was really into like Bauhaus posters and okay. like a gallery kind of things. And so he was just happened to be really into that too. You know, we had a lot of meetings where we were just like, oh, you know, like, oh my God, <laughs> like you're into this. I'm so into this. Just sending each other stuff back and forth, like really diving into the visual aspect of things, you know, picking a font, picking a color, picking a theme, and then just like challenging ourselves to, to one up ourselves every single, you know, it's like the first single slave to rhythm 
probably my favorite piece of artwork from the whole thing. But then we're have we're like, okay, we got to try to do something better and something really different. Then eventually Ross, he was like, well, you know, the album was supposed to come out <laughs> like six months ago. <laughs> I have to do other things. So he was like, I was like, all right, well, I feel like you have sensated me a lot. And I, maybe I can like, you know, I have the art department at network now that they can like help fill in the blanks of my lack of Photoshop skills, but maybe I can take, you know, the templates that you've made me, the inspiration that you've given me, and I can like kind of make some of these myself. So the last couple singles, I, I actually designed those covers myself, which is not oh, something very cool. I ever would have thought to do. And I'm like making all my, my posters and my, um, like uh, I got really into adding text to like Instagram stories. <laughs> like I just got really into design. Um, and my girlfriend taught me Photoshop and Premiere. So now I'm like editing. I edited my last music video. Um, wow. Yeah, it's it's it feels great to be a to to be able to do everything. Whether or not I it's it's the best person who can do it. I hate being beholden upon another person because mm -hmm. then that just sometimes they can't do it and then it can't get done. So I'm just like, I love feeling like, okay, if no one can do it, I will do it. It will be a B minus, but I'll do it. You know, but yeah, but, like, you have the, but you have the skill, right? You can do it. Exactly. If, if need so be. I don't have to be held back. You know, it's right. like, you know, you have a, a modest budget for a music video. Editing costs quite a bit, you mm -hmm. know, and it's essential. But for me, I'm like, one thing I do have is time, you know, like I'm willing to stay up until five in the morning for a week, you know, yeah. and just like edit this thing. So, and, and I'm free. So it was like, I just basically like learned how to do it over, over the course of the pandemic, just like uh -huh. putting together all these like performances that I made and, and little videos. And then this one was like the big one and yeah. My girlfriend helped me a lot, you know, with a lot of feedback. She's a creative director. Um, okay. That's and, awesome. Uh, yeah, it's great. And she and I have this awesome, like we met a few weeks before, not a, a month before the pandemic and got together like a few weeks before the pandemic. Oh, wow. And she moved into my apartment. Because oh. it was like, um, I was like, pretty sure we're falling in love and we won't be able to see each other unless you move in with me immediately <laughs> <laughs> i like it <laughs> and it was totally insane but so was the time and like yeah we, we we made the right choice you know it's like i i hate to think what it would have been like you know but mm -hmm. now we we live together on purpose That's and awesome. uh yeah we have this awesome creative relationship she like takes um all my photographs and uh did my last two music videos yeah that's super cool and i can't wait like i said i can't wait to hear the rest of this record yeah awesome awesome well mike thank you so much man for taking time to hang out with me oh today. this was fun yeah you really made me feel comfortable i feel like i just talked for two hours straight <laughs> that's the point man <laughs> they want to hear your story not mine um, <laughs> i have one more question for you though i want to know if yes. you have any advice for aspiring artists I do. Okay. <laughs> yes. Let's hear it. Um, concentrate on the product. And I mean that like every step of the way, like concentrate on writing the best song you possibly can and producing the best 
song you possibly can at every moment. Like, because things truly will fall into place from that. Like, and even if you are concerned with the visual aspect, great. I think you should be, because that's half of it. But concentrate on making it awesome rather than making it popular. Because the second you start thinking about, oh God, oh God, am I popular? You lose, you lose track with your creativity, with everything, and people can feel it and they don't like it. We like authenticity, so just be authentic.